people. May the God of all grace, who you are, truly enrich them in every single thing. Father, I pray for today's service and every single person that is here, every person that will tune in, live stream on today. There is no distance in the realm of the spirit. So let this word touch who they are. May it touch their hearts. May it touch their lives. Oh, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. And as you're seated, go with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. This morning I have the wonderful opportunity to continue a thread of teaching that we began on this past Thursday. And it's a teaching that first started from personal growth and development in my life. It's not until sometimes that we're faced with a moment where we find ourselves unable to give an answer to why we feel the way we feel, why we act the way we act, that it sometimes forces you to take an inventory of your own spirituality and your own health. And this message was birthed out of a place in which this last December, for the first time in my ministerial life, over the last 11 years, what I, I experienced a true burnout. And it was a burnout like I had never before experienced because I could not out of my mouth say why I was feeling the way I was feeling. We had a lot going on personally as well as a lot going on ministerially. And I just ignored the warning signs of taking time and being with the Lord. And before I realized it, it wasn't until I had scheduled a weekend full of parties for my wife and I to host at our home. She ain't know about um, another story for another day. <laughs> and I was unable to assist her in the preparation of what I scheduled. I know, right? That was a Friday. That next morning we had an all day or an accelerated connect class and I was able to I came home at about 5:30 laid on the couch couldn't move at all I wanted to couldn't I woke up the next morning at about 6 7 a.m. from the same spot on the couch and hopped right up got myself together taught 3 hours of classes felt great it was a great day until a Sunday conversation after we had two services, two great services. When I came home and my wife and I, we typically have a family meeting. We always find time for us to sit down and talk with each other. And as we were sitting down talking, my wife, who uh, out of the 10 years I've known her, has been better than anything I could have ever dreamed for in my life. She's never been one to put me down, ever, when I know I need to be put down. She's never been one to criticize me, ever. Never been one to just nag me to the point where I'm like, woman, if you don't go somewhere, that's, that's just, it's never been her. But in a loving way in which she always does because uh, she is my best friend. And in a loving way because of her care for me, she asked me, 
Vince, or basically told me, Vince, I wish that you gave as much attention to our marriage as you do the ministry. Now, I had the boo-boo face and didn't want to have a boo-boo face. I wanted to have a rebuttal because I teach family first. But what I was teaching, unbeknownst to me, it wasn't happening in my own life. You know, it's kind of like in marriage, when you think that it's the other person's side of the marriage that needs the work. And our side is, is excellent. That's the reality that I was living in. And I thought about the time, the attention, the detail, the observation that I give to what I do. But I then realized that my neglect of my wife was my neglect for my own personal relationship with God. Because I treat my wife the exact way I treat the Lord. So really, the Lord was using my wife as a form of the Holy Spirit to encourage me to get back to the basics of my relationship with the Lord. I want to pull up some statistics because... You know, this is where we live before I take a springboard. So let's go to the next slide. The Evangelical Alliance produced a study that showed evangelicals struggle to find time for both daily reading and prayer time. Evangelicals, non-Catholics, non-denominationals, kind of where we fall into. Now, I'm not saying this is y'all, but this is their study. <laughs> And of the 1,500 people that they surveyed, 90% say they read the Bible regularly. 31% of the 1,500 have a substantial, get this, daily prayer life. 18% of that 31% that say they have a substantial daily prayer life, only pray when the chance or they have a need. So I want us to, for a moment with these statistics, look at our walk with God as a relationship. The more that I study about our relationship with God, the more parallels of family, and marriage that I see in our natural world. God instituted the natural marriage union so it could be a picture of our primary relationship with him. That's the purpose of marriage. And so there's so many similarities between how we're to approach the Lord and how we're to approach our spouse. And so whether you're married or single, of course, this, this message still talks to you because you have to own your own individual relationship with God. You will not be able to stand before the Lord when our life is done and our life is only but a vapor and say, I didn't do X, Y, and Z because of them. No one can make you feel any type of way. 
What happens is what you see by what someone else has done triggers within you from your own condition the feelings that are lying dormant within you. So when we we retaliate to others, we're only making an admission of the pain that is within. And so when it comes to the Lord, and the only time we'll go to him is for a need or a bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me prayer, is like you had a, a either a relationship with your spouse or relationship with your children, and the only time they want anything to do with you is when they need something. But God is greater than any natural love because there's another side of the teaching that says that, you know, if you just come up to God and the only time you come to him is when you need something, he's going to look around and say, do I even know you? That's not God. Even if the only time you come to God is when you need something, he still promises to be your ever-present help in your time of need without holding it over your head. Like, it's been 15 days since you talked to me. (laughs) So even if the only time you come to God is when you need him to get you out of a tight situation... I don't know about y'all, but I ain't really perfect. And there have been some times I said, God, if you get me out of this. Look, I know it's been about two years. My name's still on the roll somewhere. I got that. But I'm coming to you today, my El Shaddai. (laughs) But guess what? He still got me out every single time. But at some point, if it's a real relationship, you'll start questioning your own motives when somebody that is just so good to you continues to be good to you. And you're not that same way in reciprocating that toward them. Now, this this message or this revelation is is going to take some time because we, we really have to uproot what we've been taught about God. Because I learned something about God is that he is better than his reputation. His faithfulness is everlasting to everlasting. His mercies are new every morning. When he wants me to change, he's going to be good to me. But those scriptures somehow were left out when I was growing up. Because now we have to deal with the psychology that a child develops a picture of God based off of the picture of their parents in the household. Now, that's a good and a bad thing. If you had excellent and you had great parents, the the, the downfall or to get in the hole on that side is that you bypass God and go right to mommy or daddy. And so it, it cripples your faith because instead of trusting and believing in the love of God, you're trusting and believing in the love that your parents have for you. But now on the other side, if I did not have a great relationship with my parents or I didn't know my parents, I didn't know, and, and, and more specifically, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. Then when I say our heavenly father, subconsciously, you're going to have an image of the person that was never there. So it's, it's hard to trust someone because growing up, you, you, you realize that I really couldn't trust him. 
And, and, and in that household, if your relationship was strained with your parents and, and you would ask for things, they would make you contort and do all types of things. And you felt like you were living in a place where nothing I did was good enough. And so that translates now into my walk with God where I'm trying to do this Christian life. But I feel like nothing I do is good enough because I keep making mistakes. And so just like my parents gave me silent treatment, then God has probably given me silent treatment. So there's no point of even talking to somebody who don't want to deal with me. But God is greater than any love of any life. And in these last days, what keeps us from falling It's not us doing the right thing. It's us trusting in his love for us. And because I love him, because he first loved me so much, what by any means will hurt me? That's what guards our heart and our mind. Now, I went more in detail on Thursday. That was the introduction. So let's go to Mark chapter (laughs) 3. So this is part two of the power of priority. We'll start reading in verse 13. And he, referring to Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. I want to say this. God didn't have to save us. God was not obligated to save us because he wasn't the one that made the mistake. So in this first line that we read, Jesus called his disciples because he wanted them. God has called you because he wants you. So God is not under compulsion or out of necessity having to give good things to us, he wants to give good things to us. Change our thinking. You will never want to be blessed more than God wants you to be blessed. God wants you. He says, and they came to him and then he appointed 12, so he selected his first dream team, that they might be with him, so we turned them into a small group, shameless plug, and that he might send them out to preach. Because when you believe you are wanted by God, you can't help but to share it. And not only did he send them out, but it says, and to have power and enablement, the ability that ability to deal with problems, to heal sickness, and cast out demons. So the power of priority is seen in our original purpose in being with God. A disciple is one who desires to learn from their teacher. And I just believe that every single person that is here, every single person that is click play, every single person that's watching at home, or wherever you are at today, 
I believe that you desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as one who desires to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, before he asks you to do anything, he just wants you to hang out with him. Because in our world, we live in a performance-based society where in order to get good, you have to do good. In order to be successful, you have to to hustle and you have to grind and, and no days off, got here by myself, all those type of things that the world says in order to be successful. The world calls success when you're independent of others. The kingdom labels success by being totally dependent on Jesus Christ. And so if we go to the next slide here, this shows us that Jesus' top priority for his disciples was who they were becoming with him, not what they were doing for him. Read that again. Jesus' top priority for his disciples was who they were becoming with him. That is his only priority, is who are you becoming as we spend time together? Not being this Christian doer. Now, I've been a part of church since I was born. And for whatever reason, the Lord gave me this innate desire to study churches. And so that's what I've given my life to, study churches, trends, throughout all different socioeconomic backgrounds. That is what I love to do. If you want to get me talking four hours, let's talk some church. (laughs) And what I've noticed is that We can become professional Christians. Professional singers. Professional ushers. Professional children's church workers. Professional, which means we do this with excellence. And we can sit under the word and it not move us. We can sing songs about the faithfulness of God and then not register to us because it's a performance. God blesses you off of Christ's performance, not yours. So him being good to you is because Christ is forever faithful and forever true. And he looks at Jesus to deal with you. And so we get to a point where what starts off good doesn't always end up being right. And so by us spending time with the Lord, he is able to help us to discern between what are good things for me to do versus what is the right thing for me to do. Because a bunch of good things don't always mean God was in them. But the right thing gets you the more bang for your buck. And at the end of the day, the only person you can attribute success to is Jesus Christ and not yourself. See, the only person that we're to live for, 
The only person that we're supposed to do what we do in this Christian walk for, and, and that's, that's beyond the church, because we, we as a culture have done a great job of having church, having revival, having prayer meeting, and coming back for more church. We've done that for year after year after year, but no transformational change. What I'm talking about is when you leave this church today, did you take the spirit of the living God with you as well? And when you take the spirit of the living God with you as well, they begin to notice a difference with you first at your house. God wants us to put a priority first our walk with him. Because we bled the lines for so long. Church. God, service, righteousness. It's all flipped. See, out of a relationship with God, he'll lead me to connect to the right church. Out of being righteous, he'll lead me to not only the right place to serve, but how much to give. If at any moment you get an attitude Because someone didn't appreciate you the way you thought they should have. You revealed your motive was unpure for doing what you did. That is called manipulation. If you get upset because they just don't respect my gift, it wasn't your gift to begin with. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And if he told you to do that, then why are you concerned about their response? See, if God was so concerned about our response, he would have never sent Jesus. We have to get to a point where what did God tell me to do? And then do that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. True purpose reveals our true priorities. So when my focus now is that I'm to spend time with the Lord, that is my primary focus, then from that place, we are now to live our life and do what he tells us to do. There's a myth out here that my job as a Christian individual is to balance my spirit life, my home life, and my career life. I need to find balance in all those areas. Who's who's ever heard that before? Amen. And I, I did as well. That's not necessarily true. God, who is all and in all, he desires to be the center of our life, and everything we do flows from our relationship with him. So instead of balance, God is the center, the core, and everything we do has to now be filtered through our relationship with him. Because on the inside of you, and I I did more teaching about the heart um, on Thursday, but on the inside of us, at the center, at the core of us, is our heart. And and I got to do a little background before this, this will make sense here, but in the Bible, growing up, I only thought that my heart 
meant my spirit man. I, I only thought that. And the Lord just this week had me go and look up the Hebrew and Greek words for heart in the context of what I'm sharing. And as I studied what the word heart meant, in the Hebrew, there are about two or three words all meaning the same thing. In the New Testament, the Greek word heart summarized what the Hebrew said and kind of gave us a basic definition in layman's terms. You all see that door over there, right? All right. That door, even though it's two doors together, let's consider that one door. All right. We, we can agree to that. That's one door. On this side of the door, when I leave out, it is an exit, right? But if I decide to come back in to the door, it now becomes an entrance, all the same door. Your heart is a door to your life. And so what you now have to do is be cognizant of what you allow to enter and what you allow to exit from your heart. To more and, and more drill down and to more define what the heart is, the heart is the seat of our feelings. The heart is the seat of our emotion. The heart is the seat of our thoughts. And so whatever we allow in, we own. Whatever we allow out, is what's within us that we owned already. Just like anything else, sorry, mom, if you're watching, but uh, there was a time that things got a little tough around the house, and some folks came to knock on the door. But just because they came to knock on the door, does that mean I let them in? So this world is going to constantly, because of our culture, going to bombard you with imagery. It's going to bombard you with words. It's going to bombard you with experience that happened to you. But God has given you the free will to choose what you allow to knock on the door and what you allow to enter the door. And so even though something knocks on the door, and, and, and I'm not just talking about sin here. I'm talking about wrong ways of thinking, negative words that people have said to you, those people that said you were never going to do anything, those people that said you would never be anything, those people that said you were going to be like this person and that person, those people who said that you weren't going to amount to anything worthwhile in this life. All you have to do is kick that out of the door to free your heart. But just because it happens to you doesn't mean you have to accept it. But that was Thursday. So Matthew 6 and 21. The power behind our free will, the power behind our heart is it brings us our priorities. Our heart attracts our priorities. Matthew 6 and 21, it says, for where your treasure is, what you put value on. Before you put value on it, your heart was pointing in that direction. Matthew 16 and 26 says, what profit is it for a person to gain the whole world and lose their mind in the process? 
And I'll talk in just a moment about why sometimes that is where we feel like we have to sacrifice one or the other. I do want to go on record by saying you can both be wealthy, be happy, have a career and a healthy family and have everything you ever desired. So you don't have to do that. Oh, I need to trade this off. And who, who told you that and why would you let that in the door? But the, the principle I want us to extrapolate from those two texts and this one text and that text that's up there too, great job, that's uh, on, the, on the board, is that whatever we set as a priority, we will attract. Whatever you value is what conditions your life. So your life condition is about your priorities. And you can now see why you're being bombarded with a bunch of good things because Satan is so deceptive that he can deceive you to doing all these good things but never mastering any of them. And so being with the Lord will help you determine what you should and should not be doing. Let's drop down and go to Matthew 6, 33. So again, the principle I want to take away is that your heart brings you what you value, brings you your priority. So in in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says, but seek first. The word seek there in layman's terms means to stalk. What you stalk after, stalk the kingdom of God. Stalk his righteousness. What he's made you by Jesus. Stalk that. Examine that. Put it a part of your mind that I am the righteousness of God. Put his way of doing things in your mind as this is the way I do things. Stalk the kingdom of God and his righteousness because when he is your priority, Everything that you need will what? Be added to you. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, though, it says, we are to seek God with our whole heart. That door. So if we were to combine Jeremiah 29, 13 and Matthew 6, 33, but seek first with your whole heart the kingdom of God. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to ask, why am I unable to seek God with my whole heart? What am I unwilling to surrender to the plan of God and why? What, what, what am I unwilling to say, God, I'm going to choose to do what you want in this situation and not what I What is hindering us from doing that? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Put that next slide on the screen. 
So before I read Proverbs chapter 3, I want to put this thought in your mind. The quality of our search is seen in the depth of our pursuit. The quality. And so if my whole heart is behind something, then there should be a tangible visual proof of what I believe. Now, who, who, who is in love with their spouse by a show of hands? Like, I mean, like, in love. All right, amen, hands down. Great, that was a test. <laughs> but but how, how many of y'all know that? And you know because you're married. You couldn't just leave the invitation to be in this relationship on the table for one day we'll discuss. You know, one of the, my most favorite things that I get to do is I get to be there for couples that do premarital counseling. That, that's my favorite. I'll be honest. Premarital is my favorite. Why? Because they don't know nothing. <laughs> and when the couples are in there, I ask them, so tell me what got us to this place. I have never heard one time in 10 years of doing premarital counseling, I mean, I don't know, it seemed like it just happened, and <laughs> here we are. Now, some stuff I want to repeat to my wife because I ain't that romantic. I'm, I'm going to just tell them myself. Like, all right, so let me back up before I finish telling y'all this story. So romance is something that I'm working on, okay? You know, when you first get married, the whole romance is the fact that we's married. But, but at some point, you know, we reached that six-year mark, and in that six-year mark, You've got to put some effort into this thing to keep the romance going. And so, you know, hey, I'm a guy. you got to tell us. We, we can't read your mind. What you talking about read your mind? I should have known. How was I going to know if you ain't open your mouth and say what you're going to say? You women, let me tell you, open your mouth. Say what you want. A closed mouth don't get fed. I'm trying to tell y'all. So, so my wife knows that I need help. And so she's been helping me with all this romance. So get this. I'm sitting with a men's small group yesterday, the men, and, and I, I surround myself with guys who are older than I am as well as been married longer because they tell me tricks to the game that an OG ain't know about. So, you know, so I'm, I'm up here because, you know, they're like, hey, man, we saw you got your wife flowers. Oh, man, boy. I said, look, let me tell you, all that, that was not by accident. They said, man, but, but you did that just because. Uh-uh. I did that just because she gave me a hint that she wanted those type of flowers. <laughs> I said, now explain to me this whole just because thing. They looked at me like, oh, and you don't know? Like, no, I don't know. Tell me what a just because gift is. Men out here got cards stacked up in their car. So they look like they just coming in and thought about that all day long. No. They had a reminder on a device saying, take that card off of your visor and bring it in the house. Put a little love in it and look like you were thinking about it all day long. I ain't know that. <laughs> but now I do because I'm a part of a small group and I encourage you all to connect to small groups. <laughs> Iron sharpens iron. <laughs> but I understand that there was a level, though, of pursuit that I had toward 
my wife, and that even to this day, there is a level of pursuit that we still have toward one another. Show enough, show enough what you're saying. Look, every man that is married has a wife and a girlfriend. He just gets in trouble when they're not the same person. So I'm still checking her out. Still sending the text messages I can't say because of rules and stuff in social media. I'm still doing that because even though it's an unconditional covenant, I want to experience all the goodness of it. So I'm going to seek out there and find out what else can I get. So the same thing is true when I walk with God. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says all things are lawful, but all things are not beneficial. And so even though we're under this covenant of grace with God, who thank the Lord he's not holding sin against us, but in order to maximize the benefits of this covenant, I've got to only want to do things that are going to benefit our relationship. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. It goes on to say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. If I could summarize the revelation of grace in just two verses, it's these next two verses. God setting us free was not for us to go sin. Because mind you, you know, when you're in a relationship and a covenant with someone who only does good by you, it makes it easier to do right to them. But if I believe that God had something to do with some of this bad stuff that has happened in my life because of bad teaching, and just because they went to the school, you don't know if they really went to the school or they paid to get the degree that they said they went to the school from, and and just because they use loosely eisegeted scripture, you've got to get in that word and see it for yourself. Because a lot of us were messed up because of what somebody, quote unquote, said God, quote unquote, said, and God ain't never said, quote unquote, what they said. This is is why I'm so passionate about this, because there there was a time that my family hit a tough spot in 2002. We we were millionaires at the time. Everything was going great. I mean, just all things were coming in. But one unnecessary event and one inconvenient event after another took all of that away. Now, when you live at a millionaire level that is responsible, even though it's responsible, there's still some toys and stuff that you have. If you're a millionaire, we went to a church that told us not to turn back in the toys because it's a sign that we're doubting God. Even though the spirit of God was saying, turn the toy back in, live longer. Because of wrong teaching, we suffered. And it put something in me being a teenager going from a millionaire to homeless, did something to me that I said, whenever I teach, I am not going to get up here and throw some scripture around that I didn't go study and make sure it's in context because I went home with that messed up teaching. 
and messed us up for years. Now, thank God that God is the restoring God and he is so wonderful and so righteous. But we need to go and read and go to him as we read at the text of this of this message for ourselves. I had men of God, known men of God, nationally known men of God. Look at me when I was dating my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and say, that ain't your wife. (laughs) But because I learned to go check for myself. (laughs) You have just as much of a relationship with God as I do. In fact, I need you and your relationship to help me grow in my relationship. So I can't get a prayer faster to God than you can. And so under this new covenant, no man of God, no woman of God can tell you anything. All they can do is confirm what God has already said. And if you are a child of the most high God, can't no man, no woman on earth curse what God has blessed. And so people are looking to those who are clergy as if they're God, but they're not because they're still human. And you can't do that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, all of your free will. Even if you think you know, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I'm not against education because I went back and got some more, still getting some. Want somebody to do some of these papers next semester, we'll talk after service. But what happens with education is that it's more that you have to filter through to what the word of God said. It doesn't make you better. It makes you sharper if you use it right. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Here's the next part. In all your ways. Honor him. In all of our ways. Honor reflects trust. It's displayed in lifestyle. See, honoring my wife means I trust my wife. My wife honoring me means she trusts me. Guess what helps you get trust? Being trustworthy. (laughs) Having access to all the accounts. Because you ain't got nothing to hide. Where's she running from? It's the principle. Who's yours or God's? Well, I feel like they're going to hurt me. Well, you don't trust them. When a person's ways please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. So when your focus is, let me only do what the Lord says, acknowledge him all of our ways. He will direct our path of action. Just because you've done something and were successful before, that exact way will not work again because it's new 
inside. So I'll close with this. Because I want to get up again. There was an investment, there was an inheritance my father passed down to me. Being the namesake, Vincent L. Thomas Jr., Vincent L. Thomas Sr., kind of like circle of life type thing, whatever. So I got this inheritance, and because my father died when I was young, I didn't really understand out of anything else in the world you can leave your son, you're going to leave me a painting. <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't know. Since I was 9, now I'm 29. So over the last 20 years that painting has gone from Detroit, has gone to San Antonio, has gone to Jackson, Mississippi and was in a storage bin for years in Jackson, Mississippi. It wasn't until um, my wife and I moved from Jackson to Atlanta, and uh, it was the true come-up story. So we needed to find every piece of furniture to kind of fill up this two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. So we went to the storage unit we had and went pilfering through my mom's stuff. And I came across my inheritance, and I said, you know, I'm getting older one day. I think in the near future we'll enter contract negotiations sometime next year. Uh, about adding an additional Thomas member of the team. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. In the interim, I don't mind practicing. I, I really don't. <laughs> Bet you the real MVP. <laughs> but having that inheritance, we picked it up and we took it with us. And in the five years now I've been here, I've never hung it up. Recently, we moved again, and uh, you know, I was able to finally have an office of my own. And I put, you know, a lot of my accomplishments, awards, and my inheritance in that room. Well, make a long story short, over the last two years, the original artist of this painting passed away, and the painting was already. Once I did some research on it was already worth a nice amount. Well, when he passed away, y'all know that amount went up. And my philosophy is everything for sale. (laughs) Daddy, I miss you, but thank you! So years have gone by, and I have forgotten this inheritance. I've forgotten it. And it wasn't until yesterday that the person, the artist, physically themselves signed and drew on the painting passed away that I finally understood the totality of the inheritance my dad passed down to me. 
When we acknowledge God in all of our ways, the moment you became born again, he gave you an inheritance. And because we didn't know the things of God, we didn't appreciate the inheritance for all that it was. And it takes us going to the one who has the connection to what all is inside of the inheritance to help mature us enough to understand what we already own. My mother called me yesterday and said, Vince, you remember that painting that your dad gave you? I said, yes. Look at who's on it and look up what it's worth now. God has placed inside of you the image of Jesus Christ. And when you acknowledge him through time and his word and through prayer, he shows you that you'll never go another day lacking anything because what you're searching for, you already own. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer, I want to give you an invitation to receive this inheritance. It doesn't come from doing good. It comes from receiving the one who is always good and his name is Jesus Christ. Opening the door of your heart and receiving him. And so with everyone in an attitude of prayer and everyone praying today, I want to make this invitation to a special group of individuals because I want to pray with you today. Allow me the opportunity to pray with you. For those who never made Jesus the Lord of your, your life, allow us the opportunity to get an agreement with you so that that inheritance can be placed on the inside of you. For those who may have stopped doing what you know is right, you want to reevaluate your priorities and you're saying today, I want to take that first step in making Christ the priority in my life.